we are terrifyingly far away from where we need to be in terms of 1.5 degrees. People are becoming complacent about two degrees warming, 2.5, three degrees warming. And now in the, in the space of just a few years, we're already seeing that compromised position compromised. This is Richard Piershouse from Human Rights Watch. His verdict on global efforts to tackle climate change is bleak. The world is far away from where it needs to be to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius and avoid climate catastrophe. Clearly, for COP27, which takes place this week and next in Egypt, the stakes could not be higher. It's not just jargon. It's about the farmer who lost his crop, the children who cannot go to school anymore, the indigenous people who are losing their language. This is Agnes Kalamar. Secretary-General of Amnesty International. Her verdict was also bleak and troubling. Green action is urgently needed. However, she asks, what does climate justice really mean in the face of severe repression? So you imagine giving billions to a government, to a country, where there is no transparency, where there is no predictability, where there is no freedom of speech? What is loss and damage in that context? My dear friends, loss and damage without human rights is a blank check to more repression. A lot to unpack. What's happening at Egypt's COP27? What solutions exist to support the world's most vulnerable communities tackling climate change? And how can we ensure climate justice within an active civic space? I'm Rosie McCabe. Welcome to the New Arab Voice. I had to take a a longer route than what one would have maybe hoped for. This is Dan Hodd. He describes himself as a violin-wielding liberal travelling the world. Dan decided to travel to COP27 in Egypt without flying, travelling across the Middle East by bike and various forms of public transport. So I came through Greece into Istanbul and took some of these brilliant old scenic railways through Turkey. Obviously, I couldn't go through Syria either because of the the obvious situation there and the fact that the border's been closed since 2014 and came through Iraq down to the Gulf and through to Kuwait and northern Saudi, finally into Jordan and then a ferry from Aqaba in the south of Jordan down to Sharm el-Sheikh. En route, Dan said he saw directly how the region is being impacted by climate change. And yeah, what really quite quickly became apparent was tuning into different climactic issues that, that we could really see along the road and to yeah to see to see the way that water shortages were so apparent in southeast Turkey and that those water issues I mean that became one of the larger themes of the, the travels. Worryingly, the Middle East and North Africa is projected to be among the first in the world to run out of water, according to a 2011 report from Water Resources Research. Models predict that climate change and decreased precipitation will reduce internal renewable water in the region by around 4% by 2050. Up to 15% of people in the region are expected to suffer from some sort of water stress by 2025. In Iraq, the threat of depleting water reserves is particularly troubling, 
given the country's continued reliance on irrigated agriculture. Basra, for example, in the south of, in the south of Iraq, um, there were real issues with just water purity even, that you've got sewage systems that feed directly into the local canals and rivers, and therefore the city stinks, absolutely stinks. And the water purification plants that they have set up are not really working efficiently enough to, to clean the water. And so you've got foul water basically finding its way back into the, the water supplies. The MENA region is also extremely vulnerable to rising sea levels and is set to experience alarming temperature increases well beyond global projections if warming isn't limited to 1.5 degrees. A recent UN report said the combined climate pledges of all 193 parties under the 2015 Paris Agreement put the world on track for around 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming. At the moment, most countries aren't even fulfilling these insufficient pledges. If things don't change, then places in the Middle East will become uninhabitable. The Hajj in Saudi Arabia, for example, could become too dangerous because of high temperatures, according to one MIT study. And so meeting with some climate researchers down there and a climate activist and just being able to see firsthand what that lived experience is for, for local people and to, well, I mean, to smell firsthand what the issues really are for local people. It's just, I mean, just incredible stuff, really, really quite, quite humbling and, and important things to see and to interact with to sort of spur me on and really feel like I've got something to talk about when I get here. One of the main topics of discussion at COP27 is climate financing, specifically this controversial term, losses and damages. It's time for an historic pact between the developed and the emerging economies. This is UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres speaking just before COP27 started. A pact in which developed countries deliver at the commitment made in Paris and make an additional effort to reduce emissions in line with 1.5 degree goal. And the pact in which wealthier countries provide financial and technical assistance, COP27 must be the place to close the ambition gap, the credibility gap, and the solidarity gap. Climate financing can be broken into different strands. Mitigation is the money used to help developing nations move away from fossil fuels and other polluting activities. Adaptation is the money that goes towards helping developing nations prepare for the worst effects of climate change. Losses and damages, L&D, refers to compensation for the impacts of climate change that will not be or have not been avoided through mitigation and adaptation. Loss and damages is at the heart of climate injustice, I would say, right? This is Zina Khalid Haj, head of global campaigning at 350.org, an international environmental organisation. We've all been saying that the way that we are witnessing climate crisis is showing us that it is the poor who are mostly affected while the damage and the cause of the climate crisis is actually caused by the rich people. One example would be farmers in Iraq, Egypt and Morocco who are being pushed off their land by drought caused by rising global temperatures. L&D funding would create a mechanism that means these developing communities are supported by developed countries in their recovery from the impacts of climate change. So we have all these countries that are basically the most affected by climate change, not causing climate change, and historically they've been left by themselves. They have been left to pay the price 
Uh, they have been left to basically deal with the consequence, although they are not basically to blame for it. So establishing a system of loss and damages is at the heart of first starting to tilt that balance that is not to their advantage and to start to acknowledge responsibility for who has caused climate damage. And as well, and most importantly here, is to start supporting the global south in its ability to basically adapt and cope with climate change. While it has long been recognised within the UN framework, the developed nations have a fiscal responsibility to developing nations worst impacted by climate change. No mechanism for accountability has been established. Within the, the, the negotiation of, of COP, you have already climate financing that was agreed and, you know, uh, kind of aimed for it to be achieved 2020, i.e. two years ago, with 100 billion being available on the table to support. So that was the original, basically, materialization of this. But it is not enough. First, sadly, this amount of money wasn't even available on the table. We're two years late and we are 17 billion short still. This year, activists welcomed the addition of losses and damages to the COP agenda as a potential breakthrough. Host country Egypt tried hard to prioritise the issue, selling its African COP as a moment of implementation and a time to build trust between developed and developing nations. Sadly, however, this was a partial victory. I think the fact that loss and damage was put on the agenda was a big source of relief. This is Lise Mouvet, the New Arabs COP27 correspondent. For a lot of organizations, I mean, it's really the, the one thing that, that civil society is campaigning about. It also came up in the human rights panel yesterday, came up with a lot of speeches. So a majority of people are campaigning. That being said, it's been put on the agenda by consensus by all parties on the condition that basically liability and responsibility for the loss and damages would not be discussed. This means the world's biggest polluters, the US and China, are under no obligation to provide funding for losses and damages. It all boils down to individual discretion. And so, so far, there have been very few pledges. You know, if a handful of European countries have made very small pledges. I think the biggest one was made by Germany. And it's like 150 million euros off the top of my head. And then you have countries like Austria or Scotland or Belgium that have pledged like 5, 10, 15 million here and there. But basically, there's nothing significant. Without an established mechanism, either a tax or a new fund as part of the UN, the World Bank or IMF, it's difficult to delve into the even more tricky questions. Namely, how to ensure money goes to the people most in need and to what degree is each country culpable? Take the Middle East, for example. The region is both a top polluter and a frontline victim of climate change. This question of these oil-producing countries is also very relevant not only when we're talking about the pillar of loss and damage, but also that of mitigation and phasing out of fossil fuels. This is Ahmed Drubi, the regional campaigns manager for Greenpeace in MENA. You cannot expect a country like Algeria that depends on overwhelming proportion of its economy on the export of gas to a country like Norway or Saudi Arabia, which are also oil and gas producers, but are extremely privileged and rich and have an ability to diversify and to conduct a just transition away from dependency on fossil fuels. What about Iraq? The country is both a polluter and is severely polluted. It is also plagued by chronic instability 
and endemic corruption. What do losses and damages mean in this context? This is a very important question, and we must not fall into the trap of using that as an excuse not to provide the funding, because this has been used as an argument in the past. The funding needs to be made available, and it needs to be made available now. And there are many mechanisms that can do so, and it is essential that civil society organizations are involved in this process. This involvement of civic society in climate justice, however, is a complicated topic in the Middle East and North Africa, to say the least. Like it's called an African COP, an African COP in organized in the in an African country. This is Ashraf Shabani, a Tunisian journalist, researcher, and climate change activist. He's a non-resident fellow at the Tahir Institute for Middle East Policy and a regular contributor to the Arab Center, Washington D.C. I cannot imagine how this COP looks like an African COP. We are many African delegates and and activists are prevented from attending the summit for several reasons. There is this issue of rising the prices of hotels, and also Egypt's tight restrictions on freedom of speech. The interests of African nations are will not be represented enough in this COP. It's, it's the same slogan, African COP, Implementation COP. This is something commercial. For Shabani, one of the reasons why climate action is impeded and weaponized by authorities in the MENA region is because of restrictions on civil space. This means green reform is often elitist and sidelines the most marginalized communities in the region. It's paramount that climate change debates occur within and work to reinforce democracy and freedom of assembly and expression. Because at a time when Egypt and other countries are seeking to turn climate change into a tool of repression, it's the job of journalists and civil society actors to stubbornly critique, resist, and offer alternatives to greenwashing and authoritarian green transition. Chibani decided not to go to this year's COP. Okay, I received by the way three offers to cover COP, like by Tahrir Institute, by Inkifada in Tunis, and by another media outlets. Okay, but as many climate change activists and advocates, I have faced the dilemma. It's boycotting COP27 and risk a further failure to reach a robust agreement to limit global warming at a moment of climate breakdown, or traveling to Sharm el-Sheikh and risk being cynically used by Sisi regime to promote and offer the veneer of green credentials to his regime. These spaces offer an inherent contradiction, he said. For how can you have climate justice without an active civic space. That question of civil society is also fundamental to the whole just transition space, right? This is Richard Piershouse from Human Rights Watch again. If you're tight, if, if a government is tightly controlling civil society space, what checks and balances are there to ensure that the transition is a just transition? That, you know, that, that people are not falling through the cracks. You need those policies to be tested, discussed. There has long been a rhetorical acceptance for the need for civic participation, said Richard. However, COP27 has drawn attention to how this rhetoric is far from the reality faced by many climate activists. And I think one of the strong characteristics of this conference so far has been this real debate between climate on one hand and human rights on the other hand, uh, how do you align those? Can they be aligned? Should they be aligned? And the, and the Egyptian government didn't want to be talking about that. They, they wanted it to be a far more tightly controlled space, particularly about, you know, that this was going to be Africa's COP, Egypt was going to be the champion of Africa. 
And particularly, they wanted the issue of, of climate finance, and they meant a very restricted vision of climate finance. That's what they wanted the, the talking points to be about. And so far, I don't think it's gone according to, to plan. We'll see how it plays out in the next, the next few days and, and next week as well. The topic of Egypt's abysmal human rights record has loomed ever large over this conference. The fate of Allah Abdel Fattah, a British Egyptian on full hunger strike to protest against his unlawful detention, has been raised by several world leaders and activists. After months behind bars, Allah escalated his hunger strike and stopped drinking water when COP27 started. His family have voiced fears that he's being force-fed to keep him alive while the conference takes place. Attention has also been drawn to the many thousands of prisoners of conscience languishing behind bars due to a systematic crackdown on freedom of expression and assembly in Egypt. How do you tell the story of Allah, uh, for example, you know, as one of you know tens of thousands of political prisoners, um, but then also stress that, you know, that it's a system of repression, right? It's it's all it's not just the people in prison. It's the fact that people people aren't able to to say the things that need to be said or to to protest the policies that need to be protested. And you know, there's a, there's that huge existential question of where is the the Fridays for Future movement in the Middle East? And you know. Or the Fridays for Future movement, or some equivalent of it. Where is that in the in the Middle East? How do you begin those decarbonisation conversations, those just transition conversations, loss and damage conversations, without those people? And and I find that challenge terrifying, but I find it incredibly important to be working on. Perhaps Richard said, this COP will be a turning point in exposing the inherent contradictions of climate reform controlled by repressive regimes. People have been forced to recognise that human rights and climate justice must work in tandem. Otherwise, green transitions cannot be just, fair or sustainable. Otherwise, we'll keep going back to where we started. What is loss and damage in that context? My dear friends, loss and damage without human rights is a blank cheque to more repression. Final words to violin-wielding cyclist Dan. Yeah, it, it really illustrates what a, what a first world, not a first world problem, but at least what a first world privilege it is to get out and and discuss climate issues as priority number one. Um, these things obviously are, are completely intertwined. With a more stable government, they're naturally going to have the capacity to address climate issues far more. Will COP27 lead to meaningful change? I think the concept of a COP sounds utopian. It sounds... So beautiful, but the actual implementation of a COP is a load of bollocks. That the that the status quo the status quo maintains, and that the dominance over policy by the global north maintains, and that people actually sitting around at a table and discussing things equally, it doesn't seem to take place. And therefore, you've got far too far too many suits, far too much stuffiness, far too much chatting crap about about finances and very little implementation and very little listening of those that are suffering the most and how to and what they suggest really needs to be done in, in their communities that's all for this week thank you for listening to the new era voice this episode was produced and written by me, Rosie McCabe, alongside Lise Mouvet and Hugo Goodridge. Our theme music was by Omar Elphil. 
The new Arab Voice will be back next week. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account, both at The New Arab Voice, for additional content. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news from the region.